turkey, or as they like us, they prefer us to call them turkey even though they still pronounce it turkey. They want us to pronounce it turkey in a So it's not to be mixed up with some smart birds. Right, with the, the gobbler. Um, right. They, they realized that their name and the turkey bird were synonymous here, and that was very upsetting. So they wish us to pronounce their name differently. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to a, an exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure, where we will say such things as, uh, China's in trouble. And, hmm, on the other hand, things like that. So if you yeah. want to hear such exciting things this hour, you should stay tuned. Very exciting stuff. But I think it's we've just been traveling, so there's there's some anecdotal stuff. We usually look at really, oh, yes. really big picture numbers to see prices of you know gas and oil across, and you can see averages across states and so on. Driving across the country for us is fascinating stuff. So going from a little town in New Mexico to the next little town in New Mexico and seeing the difference of 50 some odd cents a gallon in gas, sometimes more. And uh, this is one of those things that people go, how can that be? What's going on? There's a combination of things. We've talked about some of this stuff before. Why is it that this is going on? How is that happening? In a larger town, you can see it on a much more muted scale. You can go from one area to t of town to another and see differences in prices. They're buying the oil from the same places, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, they are. Sometimes it costs more to ship it. To, to well, I love that we call taking it on a truck, shipping it. Um, to, to get it from one part of the country to the other, the distance from the source, the refinery, is pretty important. I mean, that's a big factor. Uh, a lot of times there's pipelines that lead up to tanks somewhere. So the distance from those sources is a big part, but also how much traffic you have at your gas station is vital to this because you've got to buy a lot of gas to put in that tank in the ground. At gas stations, you have, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know this, just kind of backfill. There's a large storage tank, actually multiple large storage tanks under the ground at all of the filling stations, all the gas stations. Uh, Obviously, you can't put diesel in the same container as the 87 octane. Uh, so you have to have different storage co containers for each. And it's usually better to have a large storage container in there. That means you don't have to buy as often from the big, big supply. It means that when people show up, you don't have plastic bags over your gas nozzles because you've got enough gas to serve. So what happens if you bought the gas that you're selling at, at say, uh, let, let's just give it a number, $4 a gallon. And now your competitor across the street who just got a new shipment at $3.50 a gallon, he can lower his price. He just bought a big shipment there. You've got, you're going to have to eat some of what would have been profit is now becoming maybe break even and at, at times, if you actually just need to sell enough so that you can get new gas put in, 
you got to lower your price and take a loss. So that's part of the reason why at gas stations, the convenience charge for the candy or the drinks or whatever is quite high. If you go to a grocery store, sometimes just behind the gas station, the prices are half that for bottled water and sometimes much less than half of that uh, for the things inside the store. So going from town to town, knowing that recently we've had a, an upheaval in the in the distribution side of gasoline and diesel. It's during the pandemic, everything was out of whack. Who did you get it from? How much was at the refinery? Nobody's buying gas, so I'm just going to sit on, lose my contract with the company that was providing it before. That's still kind of messed up. And people's travel pat patterns have changed. This is absolutely fascinating. Where they're going is different and how they're getting there is different. So we saw dozens upon dozens of closed gas refilling stations on our trip. Was that common for you as well? We did. Um, closed, saw, just out of business, gone. Well, but I also saw some places where we pulled in to get diesel where they didn't have any. Right. Uh, but the thing that struck me is, as you said, from one town to another, there was typically, it, it easily could be a 50% difference in the price. Now, I was getting diesel because I was driving a diesel-powered vehicle. Uh, a 50% per gallon difference in price, which was pretty amazing. But there was something else I saw that, that was very, very significant. We saw quite a number of traffic jams. Thank God they were all going the other way. They were all on the other side of the interstate. God just said we saw welcome, them on the way out. By the way, and if you when you see this, and I'm looking at it about well, let's put it like this: a majority of the feet, if you look the linear feet of a five mile long or ten mile long traffic jam, a majority of the linear feet were tractor trailers, eighteen wheelers. Yeah, and there were times when we were traveling through from the Appalachians, which is where we were, back to Texas, when the other side of the highway, while we could see coming looked amazingly like there weren't any cars there. It was just solid, almost bumper-to-bumper 18-wheelers -bumper going towards here. We were seeing very much the same thing. Um, you know, the, we, we long ago said, what recession? Because we counted 18-wheelers on, on Interstate 35 and said, nope, that ain't a recession. It turned out not to be. And I think that's what we're seeing yet. The United States economy is booming. I mean, it is booming. And a lot of those were flatbeds with, with oversized loads on them where things are being bought for construction or making of equipment. Right. We saw and construction it, of windmills, of we saw new fracking. We saw, I mean, the amount of energy investment that we saw as we were driving new solar fields being installed. It, it was really what we've been wanting to see because our electric grid's not been that great. And to see the fracking and the solar fields and the wind farms all being built in the same areas it's really hard that the same landowners getting paid three times in a lot of these cases it's pretty awesome um and we talked about a generalized kind of normal market condition where filling your tank under the filling station that big tank down there and how they do that and how trying to keep up with prices around you might change and then the pandemic shift of getting trucks full of gasoline out to a filling station. Now you've got a contract with a different company. It may be going to a different location. Prices are different. It isn't as synced up as it was pre-pandemic. And we can say, oh, well, that's the 
pandemic and the pandemic did this. Well, that's part of it because the pandemic did it to everything. But it also accelerated the trend. And the trend I'm talking about is what you were noticing, two things. Number one, diesel's hard to find. Why is diesel hard to find? Well, because there's a lot of trucks on the road and they're drinking up all the diesel. Not literally, by the way, don't drink diesel. That that shouldn't need to be stated, but I'm going to do it anyway. Don't drink diesel. Stop it. Stop it right now. Anyway, the big trucks are drinking up all the diesel. There's not diesel around. Hard to find. Where it's found, it's more expensive. Hmm, interesting. High demand, low supply. Uh, well, that's not pandemic related. Well, maybe it is. We're ordering a lot more stuff than we used to prior to the pandemic. That's a factor. But we limited how much we were refining diesel because diesel got more expensive. We had to take sulfur out of it. So the, the, the refiners were saying it's more profitable to do these other things. And it's really expensive to make a new diesel refining, re, refining facility. You got extra rules to follow. So we're not expanding very fast on the diesel side. And in the middle of that, we also have a new thing entering the market. In 2022, according to the U.S. government, about 10% of auto sales in the United States were electric. Now, that's not a lot because if you think about all the cars that are out there, it's not, I mean, 10% of one year sale is not a lot of the percentage of the total. The thing that's interesting here is that it's expected for this year, 2023, that 22% of new cars will be electric. Now, this is, there's no mandate out there that says you've got to buy electric cars new only yet. Those, those deadlines aren't here. So this is just the marketplace. This isn't some kind of a liberal government control saying everybody buy electric vehicles. They're being bought because they've got a 300-mile range, and I'm just using it in the city, and they're comfortable, and they're cool, and they are less expensive over their lifespan than an equivalent car. So why not? So that's happening. Why is that being brought into a conversation about gasoline prices? Well, Texas did something this legislative session at, at the government level that said, hey, electric vehicles are going to have an extra charge when they're registered, a larger extra charge, like a couple of hundred bucks. Why? Well, because they don't pay any taxes on the gas that's supposed to be fixing our roads. The gas tax, by the way, doesn't cover any, any large percentage of what we actually have to do on the road. We haven't adjusted the gas tax for inflation. It's still 18 point something gallons, same thing, 18 point something cents a gallon. Same thing it was when I was a child. We haven't adjusted that. So that's not really paying for the roads. But how do we pay for roads if we're getting it from a gas tax and the electric vehicles aren't paying the gas tax? Okay, so Texas does this. Of course, all the News media says, oh, look, Texas is trying to squash car sales for electric vehicles. That's just silliness. People, people want to make sound bites and headlines. So it happened. We, we need to pay for stuff somehow. Now, one of the big drawbacks on electric vehicles, this sounds kind of chaotic and disjointed. It's all going to come together. I promise. One of the big complaints about electric vehicles is logistics. How am I going to drive across the country? Where do I stop to charge? How long is it going to take to charge? Only 300 miles. Well, that's not. So for a lot of people, electric vehicles are not a good option right now. A lot of people think I'm like an evangelist for electric vehicles. or it's, For a lot of people, it's just not a good idea. If you're going to be driving long distances, hauling loads, you're going to have a drain on the battery. It's not as effective. Now, new battery technology is coming out that's already in prototype 
stage that m- magnifies the range by 12 times. So multiply 300 by 12, you get 3,600 miles a charge. That's not hyperbole, that's real. That's in multiple new technologies have that competing with each other. It's going to happen, which means you charge overnight one time for what you used to do on your oil change. So logistically, electronic electric vehicles are going to be accepted in the market at a rapid pace, which means the future for the sinking of the market in gasoline is going to get chaotic. There's going to be less demand, and that less demand is going to gather over time. If 22% of the sales, and I think that's unreasonably low, if, if, we, if even a quarter or less of the sales for the next five, six years are in electric vehicles, that's going to have a dramatic impact on what's happening with gasoline. Gas prices are likely to drop over the next 10 years, but you might wind up paying more for your gas <laughs> because people aren't refilling their station tanks in time. We're going to see a lot of desynchronization in the prices of gasoline over the next 10 years. That's what I was wrapping this up with, is that there's a technology shift happening here that isn't about the ecology. It isn't about anything silly like that. I mean, not that that's silly. Don't get me wrong. It's the marketplace accepting something of high quality. If an electric vehicle will do exactly what a internal combustion engine would do less expensively, then why not? And all you have to do to figure out if that's going to take over the rest of, the, of internal combustion is look at gasoline lawn tractor sales. And we're talking about a massive shift happening over a three-year period. Absolutely huge. The professional lawn mowing companies are no longer buying gasoline tractors. And these are the, you know, turnaround in place tractors. They're still being made, but very, very few of them are being made. The, the market has shifted already there because looking at it from a strict profit standpoint, it also helps that it's quieter, uh, but from a strict profit standpoint, it is phenomenally cheaper in the lifetime of a lawn tractor to get the electric version. Well, why is that? Because the repair and maintenance of those engines goes to very little. You still have to replace belts. You still have to sharpen blades. But the number of parts in the part that makes you actually move that could fail goes down to very few from a lot. And those are technical terms as well. So just expect that to happen. This isn't me being an evangelist saying electric vehicles are amazing. They're not yet, but they're in the places where they're doing well, they are amazing. They are doing better than their direct competitors for generalized city driving. When they get to 3,600 miles a charge and they go faster and they have better technology in them to drive better, it's just going to be what people drive. It isn't about, I mean, this is one of those, we have these arguments throughout history. John Henry was a steel driving man. He was driving the stakes down into the railroad. And I still think of him and I think of him with pride. Humans could do this thing, but machines still do it better. 
and th- that's going to be the case going into the future. You you are welcome to take the conversation from here. I well, I soliloquied for a while. The last three weeks driving an electric car, and I say electric, it was a it's a hybrid plug-in electric, so, and I found it to be really fascinating. The majority of driving we did around in North Carolina was in a was on battery. And it gave me a great deal of satisfaction as I passed gas station after gas station that I didn't have to stop there and get gasoline. Right. And the quietness of it, the acceleration was astonishing. You go and pull into traffic and it is the, the danger is the only thing. I understand the danger. You punch that accelerator down and it just shoots you into traffic and you need to be prepared for that. I found it very, very satisfying. There's little doubt in my mind at this point that the next private vehicle that I buy for myself will, I think will be the same setup. And I don't think electric cars are going to get to the point where you can drive long distances in them comfortably um, in the immediate future. But no. in, within a couple of years, it, we may get there. The But the the mixture of, uh, of the, hybrid, the plug-in hybrids are called drive shoot all the driving you would normally do in a day it will cover and then you bring it back into your garage and you plug it in uh it was it was quite impressive um it, i wouldn't change the subject though yes please do let's talk about china for a minute uh i know china is way over there and we're way over here and there's a lot of hard feelings and good feelings and i don't know what there is about china but i can say they're showing every evidence of being on the cusp of a serious negative economic event um a lot of things are happening big things I, they're 26% unemployment among uh, the the youth people well, under age 26. Yeah, from 16 um, to 26, yeah. Right. Uh, you've got uh, Evergrande announced that its non-Chinese subsidiaries, in other words, in the United States and other places, are being ordered to, they're telling them to declare bankruptcy and they're not going to be paying on a lot of their debts. Yeah. Inside China, a larger company than Evergrande, Country Garden, which is the largest property developer in the world, as far as I can tell. Just missed some U.S. dollar payments. You have to go 30 days after missing it before you're declared to be in, in fault, at fault, or in default. default yeah. But the government is not making any noises about bailing them out, and it probably won't. And there's a reason for that. At this point, when Chairman G was in South Africa suggesting that we have a new world uh, that developing countries have a new world order where the yuan, the Chinese currency, is the basis from which they work. Uh, if he goes and spends tremendous amounts of money bailing out, as, as they did, by the way, in 2008 and 2009, tremendous amounts of money bailing out real estate developers and taking them over, um, it won't be good for their currency or their economy. It'll be, they will have wound up taking on a lot of debt. And one of the things he's learning is no matter how powerful you are as a dictator, you can't make markets do things. Markets are going to do their own thing. And you can't just endlessly create money out of your own currency. Right. I don't think, I think there's some people who, who don't recognize that. But there's a lot of indication now, and, and it's hard to get good indicators, but the indications we're getting are that the United States will probably grow its economy more this year than China does. Yeah, and the, the yuan has fallen against the dollar just in 2023, about 10%. So why is that important? If China, well, first off, a significant part of our exports, I know this is really going to sound strange to you, of our exports in the United States, like about 7.5% go to China. We have, as a nation, corporations in the United States and individuals in the United States have invested a lot of money in China. To see that evaporate 
would be a shock to our economy. Can can we handle that? Oh, yeah, we can handle that. But the Chinese have also borrowed a lot of money, believe it or not, from the United States as well as, as yeah. loaned money to the United States. The, the this de- is, defaults that are taking place are in dollar-denominated mm-hmm. debt. And we can weather all of those. The It's just when the second largest economy in the world looks like it may be about to implode, that is something to be concerned about for two reasons. One, it will have a financial effect on the United States. It's one of the reasons this month the market has not risen a lot, despite excellent, excellent earnings uh, of corporations in the S&P 500, is because they are deeply concerned about how much exposure does any given company have to China? And if they have to write that off, what will that do to that company? And there, frankly, it's a lot. We have a lot of exposure to China and, and people are working their way out of it, but it's going to take some significant time. The biggest danger, and then this is one that I think, keep it in the back of your mind. And, what, and let me tell you what to do about it at the end, is that when a economy headed by a dictator gets into economic trouble, the dictator generally starts to make war on somebody to unite the economy and to stabilize the people. And oh, China well, well, is Show me some up. examples of that. How could uh, that be? Like, uh, one of them is going on in Ukraine right now. <laughs> um, so that would cause a significant disruption to our stock market, uh, to everything. And I don't even begin to understand all the things that will happen if that goes on. Which is why, and what can you do about that? Well, you can't change what's happening in China. Actually, you can. Don't buy things made in China. <laughs> but your, your, your effect on it is going to be very tiny. One of the things that I think is really good to, to bear in mind is that we strongly recommend you keep a good cash reserve in case of emergencies. And we highly, highly, highly recommend that to you. Why? Because, frankly, things happen in the world that are not likely to be predictable, or at least they're not cyclical things. They're just things that happen. And it could have an effect on jobs in the United States. It could have an effect on uh, stock market returns. It, I don't even begin to know. But there's some instability in the world. And the more instability there is in the world, the more your cash reserve becomes important. And it's just a good idea to hang on to that because uh, I don't even like to think about what would happen if China decided to forcibly try to take back Taiwan. It wouldn't be easy. It would be terribly disruptive to them. It would be disruptive to us. Uh, What we get from mainland China is significant. What we get from Taiwan is very significant in the United States. Um, And if there was a war going on, I suspect Taiwan wouldn't be exporting a lot of stuff because its ships would be getting sunk. This is just one of those things to be aware of and be cautious as you approach. We're trying to take that attitude ourselves. Um, But it's the the danger of a Chinese implosion and resulting invasion of Taiwan is very real at this point. It isn't, I know it sounds like we're, it's kind of like the warnings that uh, Maui had island that the overgrown grass on an abandoned um, area that used to grow sugarcane next to Maui, the abandoned, the grass that was growing there was a European style of grass. It was growing very, very thickly and was very, very dry and was very, very prone to burn. And Maui, the government of Maui and the government of Lahaina didn't pay a lot of attention to that. It's a good idea to pay some attention at this point that there is a terribly unstable area in the world and it's the second largest economy in the world and it's one where its leaders have stated they fully intend to go to war at some point uh, to take back Taiwan and we have very clearly stated we ain't going to let that happen. So don't be real surprised when if I certainly hope it doesn't work out that way. I hope that China 
frankly, it goes down the same way Russia went down, which is with a whimper rather than a roar. But I don't see that happening personally. Yeah, and now now I'm going to change the subject from one horrible place economically to another. Um, after having talked about how well we're doing here, surprisingly well in the United States, it looks like our growth rate is significantly higher than a lot of people expected it to be. Turkey. That's an understatement. Turkey, or as they like us, they prefer us to call them turkey even though they still pronounce it turkey. They want us to pronounce it turkey. And so it's not to be mixed up with some smart birds. Right, with the, the gobbler. Um, right. They, they realized that their name and the turkey bird were synonymous here, and that was very upsetting. So they wish us to pronounce their name differently. But uh, on, on maybe as important news as that is uh, the central bank of Turkey um, – said it increased its benchmark rate, which is, you know, what the federal funds rate gets moved up and down in the United States. It's what banks uh, get charged for getting a short-term loan from the Federal Reserve. Its benchmark rate in Turkey went up to 25%. So if you're concerned about the five and a half-ish that we have here and high interest rates and how that's bad for the economy. They went from 17.5% to 25% in one move. We didn't, I mean, we had some, a lot of quarter point rises, a couple of half point rises. They had a seven and a half point rise. Why? Well, because they've been having inflation most recently running at about 48%. Yeah. Because the head of the country, Erdogan, kept lowering rates when inflation was there. And he said he was going to promote inflation's death by encouraging new business growth. New business growth is great. Getting rid of inflation is great. If you could do them both at the same time, you could get a Nobel Prize. This would be, uh, this would be the first Nobel Prize given to a head of state for economics because that's what one of the major driving forces of inflation is new business. When you want new talented people to do new things, you have to spend a lot of money to do it. You have to either hire them from other employment or something. You have to offer them more money. That's inflationary. And if you give really easy loans to small businesses at low rates, guess what they do with it? I know this is weird. They spend it. And the more money being spent, and small businesses spend a lot more money when they're getting started than large businesses or just normal people, the more money that's moving around is a magnifier for inflation. So they made the decision to lower interest rates, which is great for business and horrible for inflation. And it's put a lot of businesses out of business. So the idea of stimulating business by giving them better loans had the opposite effect long term in that many, many, the vast majority of the small businesses that opened in the last half a decade have now failed in Turkey. The majority, vast majority. That's a statement that is not good. And that's part of what's happening in the economy of Europe and what's happening in the economy of Russia uh, and the economy of China. A lot of countries are out of sync. We were talking about gas prices being out of sync. There are out of sync localities all over the world. We went from sort of the old new, war, new world order was free trade and open borders. The European Union was formed. The Eurozone was formed. We had free trade showing up across continents everywhere you looked. 
followed by, nope, we're going to close all our borders and all of us are going to do different experiments on how to run the economy and see if things have changed since the last time this happened. Nope, they're still. this is still a bad idea. Oh, well, let's change our mind and go the other way really, really fast and see what happens. Well, that's the bad idea. Oh, uh, yeah. So what's happening in Turkey has all the markings of depression. There will likely be a long-term stagnation in Turkey, which is very sad because the education level in Turkey and the productivity of the young workers there is quite good uh, and additive. They're a member of NATO. They are uh, supposed to be tight friends with us, and they're a basket case economically. It's just absolutely erratic and weird and what can happen when you get dictators that come in from democracies what we see in russia what we see in turkey's you know in turkey's in the middle of nato and we've never had a, a nato state turn dictator <laughs> i don't know that there's a clause in the treaty about that uh well <laughs> we'll have to see what happens there so there's definitely eastern europe western asia across a big chunk of asia is extremely unstable right now. The central part of Africa, most of North Africa, is extremely unstable right now. And the United States is as crazy as our politics is, as weird as things have been, is doing incredibly well. Now, time to change the subject a bit, I think. Um, I wanted to do a real quick conversation. 16 states, according to the U.S. bureaucrats at the Labor Statistics area, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics said that 16 states in the United States are at all-time low unemployment rates. Yep. Um, something to be aware of in all of that, what is going on here is that Texas and California are both in the other direction from that they're in some of the highest unemployment in the country texas is at a 4.1 percent and california is at 4.6 percent florida for instance That's still, is that is still very very low yes in school they told me full employment was six percent that was a long time ago but but they were teaching it as fact uh to be at 4.1 percent is very low but it's still top five in the nation as far as high unemployment what does that mean when when the nation i mean if you're not talking about puerto rico the highest unemployment in a state in the nation is 5.3 percent we were just talking a minute ago about china's you younger workforce population have a 25 percent unemployment rate more 26 percent unemployment rate where we're running um what, what is our unemployment now 3.8 percent no 3.5 or 3.4 i don't remember which so it's incredibly oh i'm sorry 3.5 yes national unemployment it's right here in front of me 3.5 percent that's our unemployment rate that does not look recessionary at all there's no way i can look at that cross my eyes and focus try to make it look like a recession i can't do it we're not seeing the layoffs that we need and there i continue to see articles and and headlines about the recession is coming at any moment. We've called it and we've called it and it's still coming. Um, and, it, and it might still come. There are reasons for us to still do it, but it isn't what we thought it was. 
Um, that that's just a cross the board interesting. We're we're doing well, and it's, it has a lot to do with production and productivity in the United States just being a lot better. Um, there's some stuff in the newsletter that was written on Friday that I think is just phenomenal uh, about the demographics of where we are now versus before. We also have a couple of questions out here on electric vehicles. I tend to hit that point because it's a big subject. Um, Philip asks, hey, are they going to 22% on sales because it's it's a goal? Or because they're trying to produce that much? How do I know? It's an expectation, a trend line, and it's just as likely to be wrong as to be right. But when we have a trend line that's growing as quickly as electric vehicle sales are growing, we can say, all right, it's likely that it's going to increase dramatically over what it was last year because that was a dramatic increase over what it was the year before. And when we look at reviews, we don't see, I hate this electric vehicle preponderance over, I love this. Most people love them. So that's when you add those together, you get some degree of predictability, but the, the U.S. government is the one that they expect it to be at 22%, not mandated. They just expect it. They're measuring how many sales they are. This is the bureaucratic, not the political side of the government. And David came out, ran some numbers for us, 3,000-mile battery and the energy equivalents. Um, the energy equivalent of a 3,000-mile battery at the same rate as 20 mile a gallon gas is about 150 gallon gas, which is also the same as about a little over, I'm going to round this, 15,000 pounds of TNT. <laughs> of course, most energy systems don't act like high explosive, but that's still a lot of energy in one place. He is absolutely correct. Um, the energy conversion methods that they're looking at for these longer-term batteries, the one that I think has the highest marketability is something called an aluminum-oxygen battery, where the mm -hmm. aluminum oxidizes. It rusts and collects as the oxidized aluminum at the base of the battery, and then the whole battery is replaced about every three months. But it takes you 3,600 miles or so. And if you think about the energy capacity in any metal... Um, it's hard to get it out in a lot of cases, but aluminum oxygen is a lot less flammable and easily explosive than lithium. Um, so there's a lot of thought about iron air. There, there's thousands of different new battery ideas. Uh, energy density is increasing, and that's the, the thing that we're seeing in the prototypes. So that's fantastic for a new technology. It's, you know, when we look at what, how companies are tooling their manufacturing lines, how much money at Ford or General Motors or any of the big companies is being spent on factory lines for electric versus internal combustion, the numbers on the 22% start to, to, to bear out. Um, that's not to say that the automobile manufacturers always know what people are going to want to buy. They've had some, <laughs> a lot of egg on their face for that for a while. So anyway, no, don't... Those were the two questions. Oh, yeah. And, okay. And Philip's got another question. Philip just basically sent some things about uh, electric vehicle weight issues and going across mm -hmm. bridges. And yeah, we've got a lot of logistical and inf infrastructural problems that need to be built up because those same bridges are the ones that you can't take the 18-wheelers across. And Amazon trucks keep getting bigger, even the local delivery stuff. Have you noticed that? And uh, 
that means we got to fix stuff. If we want to keep shipping heavier things, we got to fix our bridges. Or get, at least trucking. Get your bridges up, kid. Yeah. Not shipping, but trucking. Yes, trucking. Shipping, right. trucking. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake. Mac Lure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.